Thank you for reading, and good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Uh, great to be here with you. My name is David, uh, one of the ministers here at church, and also hello to those on the live stream. Good to have you with us as well. Well, I want to begin today by doing something. It's not that Christmassy, but I want to look at a few songs that are really kind of famous but misunderstood. Uh, so have a look at this first one. Uh, you might know this one. Imagine by John Lennon. People know this song. You've heard this song, most of you. Uh, people think it's this you know, beautiful song about world peace Uh, But John Lennon actually said it was kind of like his kind of communist manifesto. It's this really political song that he kind of packaged with his sugar coating so people would swallow it down. Um, So that's what that song's about. Sorry to ruin it for you. Um, Next song is Time of Your Life by Green Day. Uh, You might have heard this song at your graduation day or something like that. Or you might have heard it at the Seinfeld finale as well if you watch that one. It's this beautiful kind of nostalgic, uh, reminiscing kind of song, reflective. Uh, that's what we think it's about. But it's actually a, about his breakup with his girlfriend, which he was very bitter and angry about, and he wrote this song about it. Okay, last one is not so famous, uh, My Hero by the Foo Fighters. Uh, I mentioned this one, not because it's famous, but because I saw an interview between the author, the writer, and a radio DJ, and it was so funny because the DJ was trying to tell the author what his song was about. He was saying, it's about your friend who died. And he's going, no, no, it's about ordinary, everyday heroes. It was just such a funny conversation just to see him trying to tell the author what the song was about when he wrote it. And the reason I'm telling you this is because we do this kind of thing with God. We all do this. We have our own natural assumptions about God and what he's like. We sort of form this view of God in our minds, uh, making God out to be something that he's not. Uh, We assume what God is like instead of listening to who God says he is. We're like that radio DJ. So we need to get our view of God from God. And there's some funny cultural pictures of God there. But look, Here's where it comes to Christmas. Christmas is about God making himself known to us. It's about the artist speaking to the audience. It's about the creator speaking to his creation, uh, showing us what he's like, uh, and really revealing his very heart. And so rather than assuming uh, that we know God in his heart, we can listen to what he says about himself. Uh, Now, I just want to let you know that I've been so helped by uh, this book this year, Gentle and Lowly, uh, that does this very thing. One of the aims of this book was to get us to see the heart of God through Christ uh, as he shows us himself. And a lot of what I'm saying today is really influenced by this book. So if you want to grab it, it's a great late, really late Christmas gift. Anyway, uh, here is a quote from the book that gets at what we're saying here. The Christian life, from one angle is the long journey of letting the natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. That's kind of what the Bible is. It's, it's just God insisting on who he is, right, against our natural assumptions about him. And God coming at Christmas that we've heard about already Uh, is him insisting again on what he is like, but this time in the flesh, 
in the man Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we not only uh, you know, know God, but we see his heart in action when we see Jesus. And so today we're just going to look at these two things. As we look at the heart of God at Christmas, we're just going to look at the heart of God in his word from Exodus and then the heart of God with us from Matthew. And so firstly, the heart of God in his word. Now, if you want a, if you want a passage that shows you the heart of God in the Old Testament, uh, you cannot find a better place than Exodus, uh, the passage we read today in Exodus. Um, and look, this description that God gives us here, it's not just like a one-off, one little part of the Old Testament. It is all through. Well, at least eight times it's repeated nearly word for word. And the, and the elements of it are there throughout the whole Old Testament. But it's important here um, uh, to know uh, that God has already... It's important to know the context, sorry, the context of what's going on. Uh, God has already revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush. Okay, we know that story where God said, I am. Uh, and now he's revealing himself to Moses again. But this time he's revealing his character. He's revealing his heart He's saying, this is who I am. Okay, so again, the context. Uh, in this passage, Israel has left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've come to Mount Sinai to meet with God. Uh, but they have also rebelled against God already. They made the golden calf and bowed down and worshipped that instead of God. And so the context of Moses and this question is, God, what are you going to do about that? Will you destroy us for our rebellion? Or will you remain with us and still be our God? So Moses kind of had assumptions about who God was and what he might do. And then God tells him who he is in this passage. And so God re reveals himself. He gives the answer by revealing his heart here in Exodus 34. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. All right, some people think, you know, God of the Old Testament, they sort of assume or expect him to do the last bit, to punish, to bring a swift judgment upon people. Because we kind of think, you know, he's that vengeful, uh, retributive kind of God. But that's not what he says about himself. The first thing he says is that he is the compassionate and gracious God. Right? He, he has this rebellious people. He has compassion on them. Right? And he shows them grace. He doesn't treat them as their sins deserve immediately. Uh, he forgives them. And that's because, you know, God is slow to anger. Uh, he's not quick. He's not like this kind of uh, a bull with a red flag, just going crazy when he sees that, losing control. Right? It, God's anger and wrath, um, God takes a lot of poking, right? God takes a lot of provoking uh, for us to draw that anger out of him. Right? We kind of think God is just sort of pent up, you know, ready to explode at our sin. But it's actually the opposite. Because uh, what does he say he abounds in? He doesn't abound in anger. Right, he abounds in love and faithfulness. We see that there. You see, God's anger and wrath, are, they're provoked by us over a long rebellion, but his love is just ready to burst forth and overflow over us as soon as we come to him. 
He is ready for that. And right, his love here is that great commitment that he's made to his people, Israel. Uh, he has promised to be their God. And that is not dependent upon their loveliness, but on his love. And so he is committed to them. And just notice the comparison here between the, between the love and between the, the anger at sin. Right? He maintains love to thousands of generations, forgiving sin. But notice he punishes sin to the third and the fourth generation. Right? That comparison is like, it's like Niagara Falls, his love, and then the kitchen tap of the anger. Right? There's no comparison there. But we need to be sure God will judge sin. He will punish that in anger. But that is only for those who continually refuse his love. Right? When he judges, he will judge perfectly. He has perfect control and it's perfectly deserved. But what he wants us to see here as he reveals his heart to Moses is that his heart abounds in compassion and grace and love and faithfulness and forgiveness uh, with that justice. And then we come to the heart of God with us. And notice the connection here. The amazing thing we remember and celebrate at Christmas is that the God who saved Israel and spoke to them from the mountain, he actually came down one day to be with us. But the word of God became flesh. And, And that heart that we just heard in the word of God we now get to see in action in the Lord Jesus. That is amazing. Uh, I love reading the Gospels for this reason um, because as we're reading the Gospels, what we're seeing is the heart of God in action. Right? When, we see, when we see Jesus having compassion on the crowds, right? welcoming children, weeping with the broken, right? healing those who are suffering and eating with sinners and forgiving them, Right, we are seeing the heart of God on display in Jesus. And Matthew 11, the passage we read, it takes us right to the very centre of that heart. Uh, this is the only place in Scripture uh, where Jesus describes his heart. Did you know that? Um, and of course, the heart is not, not the blood-pumping organ uh, in the Bible. Uh, it is actually just the, the deepest centre of who we are. Right, that is what the heart is. And what does Jesus say about his heart? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. So the basic idea here is is that gentleness is that strength under control. Uh, it It is him not insisting that he gets everything he deserves and that he gives you immediately everything that you deserve, all your mistakes, all your failures. No, he is he's gentle with us. Right? And he's he's humble. He he takes the low place in the world when he deserves the highest place. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that his heart is not demanding and dominating, but it's very very tender, uh, very approachable. Another great quote here from Dane Altland that expresses this from the book. Uh, He says that Jesus, for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness... His supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Right In Jesus, God makes himself approachable right? and we can come to him. Uh, and better than that, he invites us to come. We read that in, in Matthew, didn't we? Uh, he, says, he says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So just notice there, who does Jesus invite to come to him? It is those who are weary and burdened. Anyone got a case of being weary and burdened at the moment? Anyone feeling a bit of that this time of year? It's been that kind of year. It's been that kind of two years, right? And it's, it's that kind of Christmas as well. You, you can kind of feel that. Uh, but what Jesus is talking about here is actually, it goes deeper than just a physical uh, weariness and burden. Uh, what he's talking about is a soul that is burdened by sin. That is a, that is a deep burden. Uh, because ever since the fall, uh, we have been under this crushing weight of sin. Uh, we've rebelled against God. Each of us has sinned against him. Each of us is without excuse. Each of us is deserving of his just punishment. And that is a burden. That is a burden upon us that we cannot get rid of, no matter how hard we try. And that is a burden that remains, no matter how much we try to ignore it, it is still there. But notice, it is this very burden that qualifies us to come to Jesus. Because he says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened. And Jesus, he invites us to come and find rest. Right? To, to have that burden relieved. Right? Have that burden of sin taken off our shoulders. And he did this through the cross. Uh, he died in our place for our sins. He took the crushing weight of sin upon himself and taking the judgment and the punishment that we deserved so we would not have to. And we receive that forgiveness. Right? In Jesus, we see the heart of God on display, not just in his gentle, humble, compassionate, kind, loving life, but we see it in his death as well. Uh, Paul tells us that Jesus died for us while we were sinners. That's how he showed his love for us. He died for us not because we were lovely, because we were rebellious. Uh, he died for us because he loved us. Uh, and, and of course, we know he rose again. I know it's not Easter, but he did rise again. Uh, he rose again to give us rest. Right? Rest from the burden of sin. He replaced that with this assurance of salvation, this, this light yoke of obedience to him. He gives us a future rest. Right? In, the, in the peace of the new creation with no more sin, no more suffering. But he also gives us a great rest now. Because Jesus, he's removed that burden of sin and that slavery to sin so that we can serve him. Did you notice that? Uh, Jesus gives us his yoke. Right? A yoke is like a, a thing you put around the neck of an animal and it just pulls a heavy load along. Right? And it's hard work. And Jesus, he gives, he gives us a yoke, but it's a, it's a light yoke. So it's interesting. Uh, he gives us work to do, but it's kind of light, easy work. I think it's a kind of idea like, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. You kind of know that idea that it's just a, it's just a joy to serve uh, because it's willing and you, and you love it. Uh, and that's what Jesus' yoke, it's what his burden is like. It is easy and light. And notice what it says there. It's, it's about learning from him. Right? It's, it's about learning Jesus' heart. Go deeper in your understanding of Jesus and his love for you 
And that transforms your own heart to reflect his love and to love him. And so the, the work you do for God, the obedience, that comes from a heart that, it, that is at rest in God eternally. And so the work is easy and light because Jesus makes it that way. He gives us rest. Right? And look, isn't that the rest that we long for? Not just the eternally satisfying rest of heaven, but the rest now in the assurance of salvation, in that work Jesus gives us to do that is light and good. Well, that's the rest that Jesus invites us to come and receive. So if you, if you want to know the heart of God, look to Jesus. See his gentle, humble heart and hear those welcoming words that he invites you to come. Now look, here we are. Even though God has revealed himself in this way so clearly, uh, we still have trouble believing it, don't we? Uh, we still struggle with those natural assumptions that we have about God. All right, even when he keeps telling us the opposite in his word. Uh, you know, it is so easy for us uh, to hear things about God in our ears, but not take it down into the heart and believe it. Uh, it made me think of this, this great movie, Goodwill Hunting. Anyone seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? This one, know what I'm working with here. Yeah, we've got, some, we've got a few. It's okay if you haven't. Uh, it's about a guy called Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon. And he's just like this genius, right? He can do anything he wants. He's so smart. Uh, but he had this really traumatic childhood, and he kind of grows up being a bit of a thug, gets in a lot of trouble. And so he's not fulfilling his potential. Uh, so he gets in trouble with the law one day, and the judge appoints a therapist to help him out, and that is Robin Williams, of course. And so he's kind of helping him deal with these issues throughout the movie, and, and the climactic moment in the movie is where the therapist kind of gets what's going on. He just corners him in the room. Right? He just wants to tell him one thing. He just wants to say to him, it's not your fault. And he says, he says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon, of course, is like, yeah, I know it's not my fault because he knows everything, right? He's, he's always been the smartest guy in the room. He knows it's not his fault. But the therapist does not let up. He says again, it's not your fault. And Will, again, says, I, I know it's not my fault, but you can see he's getting uncomfortable because he's starting to dig into his heart here. So he says a third time, the therapist says, it's not your fault. And you can see in Will's eyes that he gets it. Right? And, he, and he breaks down in front of him. And look, this is like what God is doing with us in the Bible. Right? He is insisting against our natural assumptions on what he is like. Right? It's like God has us in the corner and he's saying to us, I love you. And we go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know you love me. It's all, all through the Bible. Yep, yep. And we'll say, no, no, no. I love you. And we kind of go, yeah, I know, I know that. But he wants us to get it. He wants us to really believe it. And so he says it over and over again in his word. And he came to earth to show us by dying upon the cross. And even more than that, he even pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit for those who believe in Christ. So we don't just know it, but we experience his love. And so I just want to say to everyone here and myself, we need to get rid of our assumptions about God and listen to what he says about himself. He says, I love you, I have always loved you, and I will always love you. And listen to Jesus' word. He says, come to me. Right? If you are someone who's feeling that, that weight of sin, 
You know you've not loved God. You know you've not thanked him and served him, but you've rebelled against him and gone your own way. Do not ignore that weight any longer. Come to Jesus. Because Jesus says that he will give you rest. And you can be sure when you come to Jesus for forgiveness, he will not refuse you. It's like, have people been invited to lunch today or dinner? Anyone been invited somewhere today? Is anyone going somewhere? One person. Oh my goodness. Who is going somewhere today? Who is going to, here we go. You've been invited, excellent. Now, when you get there, you're not expecting the host to say, what are you doing here? You can just say to them, you invited me. Let me in. Give me some of that ham, right? And that's what Jesus does with us. When we come to him, he will not refuse you because he invites you to come. Right? No matter what sins you've committed, no matter how long you've been refusing him, no matter how many times you have failed to obey him, he says, come, relieve yourself of the burden, find rest in me, believe in me, have peace with God now and forever. Come to Jesus. If you're someone who's already come to Jesus, uh, what should you do? You know, you've already believed, you're there. Uh, I love the end of Gentle and Lowly because he asks this question. He says, you know, what if, what if you've already got Jesus' forgiveness and fellowship with him? What do you do now? Well, the main answer he gives is nothing. Like to ask, you know, how do I apply the love of God to my life is like asking, how do I apply the glory of a sunset to my life? How do I apply the beauty of the ocean to my life? How do I apply the goodness of Christmas ham to my life? You don't. You just enjoy it. And so if you have come to God already through Christ, enjoy him. Enjoy the goodness of God's heart revealed in his word. Uh, Enjoy the gentle, humble heart of Jesus, your saviour. Enjoy that love that is poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit given to us. And enjoy that hope of eternal rest that Jesus brings. Uh, Come to him and enjoy him this Christmas. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for revealing your compassionate, gracious heart over and over again in your word so that we can know you. And Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ when you came to earth. Uh, We thank you, Jesus, for showing us your gentle and humble heart that welcomes sinners like us to come and find rest. And we praise you for your death for our sin and resurrection for eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that we would come, receive that forgiveness, and that we would keep coming and enjoying your goodness forever. Amen. Amen.